Then taste the flames of chaos! Randomly generated. This is the War Games Orchard. Welcome to the show, it's Nathan and GJ with you today. We have a fun little discussion planned for this episode. We're going to dive into a few topics that have been rattling around in my brain. But before we do that, let's hit on some news and some hobby. GJ is back in the saddle. He's back on the show after way too long. I think it's been like two episodes, but it feels like forever. I get lonely when I have to do these episodes by myself, so I'm so glad you're back. Uh, <laughs> yeah, thanks. I, I was already uh, getting withdrawal signs, so... Uh... Excellent. I'm glad to be back on as well. Good, good. I, I'm glad. Uh, I'm glad you also need your hit. And uh, why don't you start us off with some news and some hobby? I understand you've been doing some stuff. You got a game in. Fill us yeah, in. I, I, I got a game in. Uh, it was uh, Eighth Edition Storm of Magic. Um, I played Orcs and Goblins with a Tomb Kings ally, and I was playing against uh, demons of. Siege with uh, Demons of Nurgle allied in and uh, we had a fun little game except that the time was up before we got to finish it I had a killer first magic phase I was fielding uh, Wurzark, the uh, Savage Orc Shaman I was going up against Skyros Fate Weaver uh, the game ended in a draw but I was losing um, so we played the Storm of Magic scenario where you have uh, several arcane fulcrums and you have a wizard in them and at the end of the game you win or lose depending on who controls most of the arcane fulcrums oh what a neat scenario yeah yeah storm of magic is it's nice to play once in a while you shouldn't do it every game i think because it's just well magic in eighth edition can be pretty powerful in and of itself and then instead of rolling 2d6 for determining wins of magic you roll 4d6 you get some extra spells that you can cast depending on um, how many arcane fulcrums you own compared to your opponent and some of those spells are just way too devastating uh, and then especially you, you got this uh, very nice book with a little spinning wheel in the in the center in, in the in the front cover and at the start of every magic phase you have to spin the wheel and see what it lands on and certain lores get certain bonuses uh, so that's sometimes you you, you get like um, for example in my first turn it landed on the lore of the big and little wag and those both got a plus three bonus to cast and then i had to level four wizards so every spell that i cast with them got a plus seven bonus and that means that you don't need to roll a lot of dice to get them off so uh, yeah it's fun to try once in a while but um don't do it every game i love that they have a spinner mechanism for that i had no idea i, I have never done anything with storm of magic so that's really funny just to think that it's it's like a children's board game. You just spin the wheel, see which yeah, which uh, magic school comes out on top. That's so much fun. Yeah, it is. It is, and and uh, the story behind it is actually fun too because they wanted that spinner in the um they they had thought of making that as a separate feature that you could buy, but then they thought, yeah, well, that, that's going to cost us a lot of extra money, and there's no way we can 
justify people having to buy both an expensive book and an expensive little cardboard spinner. So um, what can we do? What can we do? And then I, I don't know who it was exactly, but one of the designers, he thought up of um, some of those old children's books with, with uh, I, I don't even remember which, which type they were. Uh, this is, by the way, a very uh, um, not well thought of anecdote that I'm telling now <laughs> with, with all the details missing out. But uh, he, he he remembered that there were some children's books that had some of those things like a spinner or something in the in the inside cover. And he said, well, that's what we need to do. And they they phoned to China where the books were printed and they could do it and, and they could do it for a reasonable price. And they did it all very last minute, but uh, the book was there with the spinner inside. And uh, yeah, that's uh, that's a very fun part, just to see every magic face to roll and see which lore comes up as uh, the most dominant. Awesome. So uh, how big was this game? Was this like a, a, a real like 3,000 plus point uh, battle? Yeah, we, we played 2,500 points. And then uh, in Storm of Magic, you get 25% extra on top of the point allotment for allies, monsters, uh, extra magic items that cost upwards of 100 or 150 points. So uh, in total, it was uh, 31 25 but uh yeah it was like 2500 points base army and then uh another 625 for the monsters of magic allowance all right you can get some fun stuff there yeah definitely yeah and other than that i've just been uh, slaving away at my little hobby desk doing some um some stuff for different challenges i made a, a nice little zombie for the uh wargames orchard january challenge I figured I might as well use the, the War Games Orchard Challenge to uh, stock up on my zombies and zombie pirates and then use that as an excuse to make my army. So that's going to be sort of an extra challenge that I put on myself. How can I twist the assignment for the for the challenge into something that I can use with my zombie pirates? Uh, so yeah, that was fun. I made a couple of unit fillers for that. I've been painting some high elves for the uh, Gathering of Mighty Painters. I did 11 archers, plus one test model I already had in December for a unit of 12. And other than that, I've been doing some lizardmen. I, I now just finished last night uh, a couple of salamander hunting packs and some printed razordun. I'm currently working on a saurus hero. Got Archaeon on foot and on horse lined up and then undercoated and got some uh, airbrushing on him. Uh, and making lots of terrain because I have this little two-year-old girl who loves to paint with daddy. And, well, her fine motor skills are not that developed yet that I can um, trust her with a miniature. But big terrain pieces like uh, bases for forests or hills or... Uh, Elizabeth Temple that I've been building out of uh, styrofoam, out of XPS. That's uh, perfect for her. And uh, yeah, she just loves uh, painting with daddy uh, for about 15 minutes and then she gets bored and wants to do something else. <laughs> uh, nice. That's awesome. Yeah, great excuse for me to get some terrain on the table. Absolutely. Also, I, I don't know if you, you, well, you probably have no reason to know this. 
But the uh, most famous athlete in Canadian history is, is Wayne Gretzky. He's a hockey player. He's arguably the greatest of all time. Uh, so great, in fact, that they just called him the Great One. That was his nickname. And uh, there's pictures. Uh, he very famously started playing hockey when he was two years old. There's pictures of him. His dad has him out on skates and, and with like a teeny tiny little stick. And when you mentioned just the fact that, you know, she's two, she's, she's not got the fine motor skills yet, but she likes, she likes, you know, helping out and, and uh, painting. I'm just like, this girl, she is going to, she's going to grow up and she's going to be like painting, uh, like repainting the Sistine Chapel uh, thing <laughs> because you, you started her so early. She's going to be like a savant and just, uh, and people are going to be like, oh, Michelangelo, garbage. And uh, we we need GJ's we need GJ's kid because she's she's yeah. been painting <laughs> painting since since uh, since she was a toddler. Uh, I I love that so much. By the way, I love that she's into that. That's so cool. Yeah, it's it's, it's great. Just uh, sitting there painting is uh, pure enjoyment. <laughs> I I don't know what what this will do. If it's just uh, a fad and it will pass, and she will do something else, or or, or if this is def this is something that well, I should say, repaint the Sistine Chapel, but. <laughs> Well, yeah, we'll just see how it goes, and uh, for now, I just enjoy spending time with her in in this way, and uh, having my younger daughter sit in the in her baby chair at the table and uh, watch what we are doing, and then uh, just uh, like chatter away in her little baby speak that <laughs> nobody can understand, but probably is very meaningful and wise and philosophic. <laughs> so she's so, just giving uh, you guys painting tips. Yeah, probably. Yeah. yeah. Oh, you missed a spot. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> is does she enjoy watching you two? Because I, I I remember when I was doing babies first books at the library, you had some babies that were were observers, right? They would just sit there and they just loved watching the other babies. And yes, that, that's it was so that's, neat. That's my see. youngest, definitely. Nice. <laughs> yeah. Every time she comes home from daycare, they they have this little book that they ride in. And every time they say, yeah, she just loves sitting around and, and watching the other children play. And uh, she loves making eye contact. And then she smiles back when you smile at her. Aww. So that's, uh, yeah, having kids is uh, very great. But I think we are sort of digressing from a Warhammer podcast into a parenting podcast. So how about your hobby stuff? Well, <laughs> yeah, that's the thing. There's there's not been a lot going on in the, the Nathan household as far as miniatures and, and hobby stuff go. Uh, I stole some time to, to do a couple of uh, test miniatures kind of in between in between school assignments. And uh, one of the things that I did was a, uh, a word bearer for third edition uh, 40K. And uh, one of the nice things is that we, with me being less interested in in what is currently happening in in 40k i i get the opportunity to kind of go back and do what i do with warhammer fantasy which is take the stuff from my childhood and be like okay well now you have skills and you have a bunch of miniatures lying around like do the the armies that you always wanted as a kid and so I got a bunch of miniatures in a trade with Patrick uh, over the Christmas break. I traded him my ninth edition Ultramarines, which are all the uh, the big boy Primaris stuff. And 
all stuff that I was just like, I, I kind of was interested in. And then I was like, uh, I don't know. These aren't my space Marines, right? So I, I, I kind of... I kind of just stopped working on them. So I traded him those for a bunch of chaos stuff that is more era appropriate to, to what I'm into. So, uh, yeah, what I did was I, I painted up a, a nice little word bearer. Um, I don't know if he would like to be called a nice and little world be- word bearer, but, you know, <laughs> the word bearers, they try hard. That's the thing. And uh, <laughs> one of the, the funny things about it is if, if you've ever played 40K, they, they generally have bad rules, the word bearers, as, as far as like Legion rules go. but. Uh, I'll be playing uh, these guys with the, the, the best 40k book of all time, which is the Chaos 3.5 book, so I'm going to be in good shape whenever I do those, and sometimes I just like painting Space Marines, and I, I know I've mentioned that on the podcast before, but it, it bears repeating that they're just very relaxing to paint. They're almost like a paint-by-numbers kit, <laughs> you know, you can only go so wrong with them. Nice big flat surfaces, and uh, yeah, they're just pretty zen. So I did up one of those and uh, certainly didn't have any time to game or anything like that. I'm, I'm way behind on all sorts of things that I, I need to do, uh, especially for <laughs> this podcast. Uh, but the, it's 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 going to come along. I'm, I'm going to have the, the February challenge out soon. And uh, shout out to everyone who had done the January challenge. I haven't been as up on uh, Facebook and, and given the shout outs on the, the podcast, but I'm going to catch up for the next one. And uh, I'm going to go through those. and. Uh, and give everyone their uh, their due. So if you've submitted something for that and I, I haven't uh, commented on it or, or said anything, it's it's not because I don't like it. It's because I, I literally have not uh, had time to, to go through things and, and check off all those boxes. But uh, we'll be, be catching up on that and uh, have February's challenge out soon. I'm thinking I'm thinking something sneaky for this month for February. Might be might be something. Something like doing, uh, doing assassins or something. I'm not sure, but uh, I'll figure it out. Hopefully, yeah, that fits because February is very sneaky with having only 28 days. It's and true. Still trying yeah. to be a full month. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Never trust February. Certainly, it's also the worst month of the year, at least in, in my neck of the woods. I, I've been, like I s- said before the show started, uh, I've been dreaming of uh, Nevada and Las Vegas lately just because it's been so miserable here. And February is always just the worst. I can kind of see the light at the end of the tunnel once we get to March. But yeah, February is bleak and awful. Um, yeah, so that's hobby. <laughs> <laughs> uh, oh, one thing I did want to mention in news before we get on to our main topics is that myself, uh, Joe from Flail of Skulls and Josh from. Uh, Crown of Command are looking at putting together kind of a once a month super show and just all meeting over Teams or, or some other platform and having a, a little kind of meeting of the minds of the the old Hammer podcasters and uh, just having nice discussions and, and, you know, talking about old Hammer and that kind of thing. And uh, we don't don't have it set up yet. I don't know when that will start, and and it, it is the kind of thing that may or may not get off of the ground. But it's something that's kind of exciting, and that I would like to uh, to share, and and hopefully we'll have that set up so that it goes to all of the podcast feeds. So if you're a listener to this show but not the other two, you'll still be able to hear it, and and vice versa. And uh, yeah, so more on that as it develops. Oh, looking forward to that. Hmm. All right. Well, GJ, this is going to be a bit of a different episode. We're usually a little bit more focused, but this is one 
I, I don't have a lot of focus left in my body right now with school, so I thought, hey, let's just have a fun little discussion. There's been a few things that have been rattling around my brain, and I kind of wanted to get them out in the open and, and discuss them with you and uh, see what you think and see what the listeners think. The first question that I, I've got for you today is, when does collecting for Warhammer, you can say in generally, but... When does collecting turn into hoarding? And when does it start being a detriment to your hobby and the hobby in general? And what got me thinking this was I was looking at my stuff. And, and my stuff is, I, I have a large collection, probably larger than most people, but certainly not larger than a lot of people that I know. So I, I don't want to say that I have a sprawling collection of miniatures, but it's big. It's certainly big, and it used to be larger. And back in 2017, I went through a bit of a phase. Uh, there was a lot going on in my life at the time, and I, I really wanted to simplify. There was a lot of stressors. There was a lot of hard stuff going on. And I decided then that I was going to downsize, and I got big into minimalism, which is probably not the best choice of words for that, but I, I'm going to keep it. And I, so I started listening to the Minimalist podcast, which is a very famous podcast, and started getting into the idea of, you know, simplifying your life by having less. And the I've never been a real big hoarder. I've never been someone who, who's got a real problem with letting stuff go, except when it comes to miniatures. And I'm sure I'm not alone in this factor. You know, I, I, especially for our demographic, I think there's a lot of guys out there with a lot of stuff. And I'm thinking about my stuff in general and also, you know, yours and, and the listeners. And this is a podcast with a very specific demographic, and that is people who are into older versions of Warhammer Fantasy, basically. So... There has been a lot of developments recently and, and over the past couple of years that have caused kind of a bit of a bubble for miniatures, and specifically kind of the, the old Hammer miniatures, both for Fantasy, 40k, the old school Games Workshop stuff. It's become more and more valuable, a little bit more scarce, but a lot more expensive. And the more I thought about it, I was just like, wow, I've got so much stuff. And I, I, I love this stuff. I really do. I, I certainly, my miniature collection compared to 2017 is more focused on things that I actually find value in, right? I don't go and just buy impulse buy miniatures at the store or, or do anything like that. I'm not trying to keep up with any modern games. So I, I've got this stuff that is, it's, it's quite valuable to a lot of people and to me. But at the same time, I'm thinking to myself, well, am I just hoarding this stuff? You know, because a lot of it doesn't see play. A lot of it isn't going to get painted for years. Hopefully it will at some point, but it, it's still not going to get painted for years. And why am I doing this if there's someone out there that doesn't have this giant collection that I have and would value and play with it more? Or someone who's just trying to get in to these, these old hammer games and wants to be authentic with them but you know because i've got three or four armies or seven or nine or more then you know am i morally in the wrong with with just this this collecting and collecting when these miniatures might be better served in someone else's hands who's who's going to play with them regularly 
as opposed to me just breaking out an army yet once in a blue moon kind of thing. So I want to get your opinion, because I, I know you've got quite a sizable collection as well. And I, I think by, by all rights, you probably have a larger collection than I do, just by the sound of things. Where do you lie on when is, when is enough enough? Because I always, no matter what, how much I have, you know, there's that, that little lizard part of my brain that's just like, but what if you had more? And I don't know where it stops. And does it stop? Does it stop when I'm dead? What, you know? So, yeah, GJ, what do you think about this? I don't think I'm at liberty to answer this. <laughs> I don't think I'm the right person for this. Yeah, this is a question that I've been asking myself uh, as well. But I don't really have, have a good answer for me. It's, it's just... I find excuses to keep collecting, and maybe they are not excuses, but they are viable reasons. But I do actually have a hobby goal, and my hobby goal is that to uh, one day own every single Warhammer army that's out there, and to be able to play uh, the scenarios that were in White Dwarf, and in the campaign packs, and in the rule books. And to be able to field every unit that uh, is in the army books. So, uh, and that includes uh, weapons options. Um, so that is a, a very ambitious uh, project for me. And probably not something that I will maybe ever complete. Especially not when the old world is uh, coming out. And, and they are introducing new factions and new miniatures. So, um that's one thing uh, another thing for me is that what you already mentioned these miniatures are in general getting more valuable and that might change in a while when uh, maybe after covid is is done with and everybody is going back to their normal lives and doesn't have time to play anymore the market is flooded again with secondhand miniatures in a similar way as it was when the old world ended. So then your valuable minis might lose their value, but for now, this is still a viable way of investing your money for a sort of, uh, well, maybe not a complete retirement fund, but at least a little bit something extra on the side if you need it uh, when you are uh, old and gray. And there's also uh, the the joy of collecting, at least there is for me. I, I love buying miniatures, I love finding miniatures that I'm missing in my collection. Um, especially the ones that, that you can't buy anymore from GW. A lot of them for, are still able, you're still able to get. But many miniatures, especially certain editions of miniatures certain iterations are no longer available through any official channels and you have to wait for them on the second hand market or maybe find a replacement from a third party modeler so yeah that's this those are reasons for me to uh, keep collecting and to keep getting miniatures and from what i've deduced so far is that there are still a lot of miniatures available there's still a lot of miniatures out there and both um, newer miniatures that will fulfill a role in those older miniatures or maybe uh, 3d prints 
So I don't think you really have to worry about keeping miniatures that other people also want because a lot of the other people are also collectors who will maybe play with them a little bit more than you or I would. But um, most of the times they will just end up in another pile of potential and not see the light of day for maybe the next decade or so. Uh, but that's just speculation, of course, and there will definitely be people who will be better served having those miniatures than you or I would be. Uh, another reason to say enough is enough is when you get into trouble, like you run out of space, uh, space to stall them, space to store them, space to um, uh, exhibit your miniatures, uh, whichever way you do that. Or uh, if it presents a problem like you are buying more miniatures than your budget allows for. Or um, maybe than your uh, significant other allows for. So uh, yeah, the, the, I think this is something that I cannot answer for you or for anyone else. And this is something that will depend entirely about, upon one's own situation and means and uh, drive and, and will to, to do things and there are things that I would never do when buying miniatures which is uh, for example collecting sealed GW boxes just to keep them sealed. Uh, I don't mind getting sealed boxes but I will at some point uh, hopefully open them, take out the miniatures, assemble them and paint them and play with them. Because that's what I think those miniatures are made for. And yeah, sure, that will reduce their value. Uh, a sealed box will go for a lot more than an open box. But there are people who actively collect sealed GW boxes and sealed blisters and uh, keep them sealed. And yeah, that, that's, if that's what they want to do, uh, then uh, they are. I, I'm happy for them that they want to do it. But... Uh, to me, that feels just like this miniature is um, missing its goal. It's been created to be played with and not to be stored in boxes. So I have my opinion on that, but I will not judge anyone for being a collector of sealed boxes or, or something like that. So that's, uh, if you feel judged now as a collector of sealed boxes, uh, my apologies. Uh, I did not mean to do so. It's just that that's not my cup of tea. That's a very long-winded way of saying what I started with, that I am not really qualified to uh, answer this question. <laughs> no, it's, you've, you've got some interesting points in there. I really actually like the way that, that you started out just saying, you know, you're, we, we do, we give ourselves excuses to, to collect and, and to, to buy things and to... And my brain is so good at making up excuses of of why I need more miniatures. You know, if I only had, you know, a few more of these guys, then I could I could run, I could run a full regiment or a full squad of them, and then uh, I get those, and then well, boy, I've got this, I've got this regiment, I've got this squad. You know, if I only had like another squad, I could make like a themed force, right? Yes. <laughs> and, it, and it goes on like that for forever and ever. I guess there's just a part of me that that worries that at some point you get to the to the mindless consumption level. And I, I, I think I think I'm maybe more at risk of that than you are. Cause you see you've you've got that that goal and, and however realistic that, that goal is, right? It's it's 
buying for a purpose, right? As you do that. Yeah. And like you say, there's there's a lot of there's a lot of little feel good elements about it, right? If you if you hunt down that that miniature on uh on the second hand markets that you haven't seen in a long time and you know, there there's the the added things around that that acquiring of it. And Yeah, that's 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 true. And um I, I'm also just thinking about one very specific example of when enough is enough. And what comes to mind for me are Orc Error Boys. <laughs> I, I started out the 6th edition and I got the 6th uh, edition Orc Army deal, which included the Battalion Box, which had 16 Error Boys. And then I got a um, starter set, 6th edition, and I split it with somebody who played Empire, so I had 16 more Error Boys. And then I got the contents of another starter set, so now I should have at least, um, what's next, uh, to 48 Arrow Boys, and I think most of them are painted. And I probably still got some in, in a lot somewhere that are unpainted, but I'm never going to field 50 Orc Archers. They are not that good. I want my Orcs to be in combat, not to be shooting. And I have, uh, let me check real quick. How many I have painted. I've got here uh, 18 with full command in the unit. Another 10 that I converted to be squabbling. And uh, another 22 for multiple small units. Which is not something you want with orcs and animosity and bows. Because well, orcs with bows, they are better at shooting when they are affected by animosity than when they aren't. So that's uh, 40. Yeah, that's exactly 50. Arrow boys, including one command group, and then I've got another seven laying about. I got some some of the classic ones. Uh, I got a couple of ones without heads that I put a note next to convert to flayerkin. So I I I've got fifty arrow boys painted, and I I never use fifty. I I use most games. I don't use them at all. So that's that's definitely a matter of uh, enough is enough. If I get any extra error boys now, I will just um, send them on uh, to someone else or, or sell them or convert them into something. Uh, unless I get, of course, some error boys, not hunting them down, but completely by accident from another edition, like maybe the uh, uh, metal, uh, what uh, were they a metal, the fourth edition error boys? Um, there was some plastic ones because I know they Warhammer Quest used them. Yes, um, yeah, the, and the, those were... are, yeah, got a couple of those lying about. But I thought there were also metal ones at some point. There but... definitely was. I, I, I think there were metal blisters that you could get to supplement, and as well as the uh, the Savage Orc era boys who were all metal as well. Yeah, yeah. So yeah, but I, I'm talking about the regular Orc arm uh, era yeah. boys, uh, the, those from the uh, Sixth Edition starter set. Um. Yeah, that, that's that's for me definitely uh, enough is enough, and I probably have uh, have more than I will ever need uh, because there's no way I'm going to build fifty in a game. But it might be fun to try it out in a eighth edition horde formation. Fifty arrow boys. I'm I'm going to I'm just going to pull that off in the next game sometime. There you go. Just just feel fifty arrow boys and just see what will happen and let the chaos run wild. <laughs> but yeah, so uh, that's this one specific example where I can say enough is enough. And uh, I think that's something that you have to judge for every single unit or type. Uh, I mean, um, you can have multiples of a certain uh, special character or a certain sculpt of character 
that you just know you won't field unless you play maybe 10,000 points or something. And it's nice to have the option to play 10k, but uh, you should maybe at some point think about some criteria for yourself uh, to say, well, when is enough going to be enough? Will it be when I have so many of a certain troop type or, or so many units for a certain army that I will move on to the next or that I will stop collecting altogether? Um, yeah, I, I think that's, that's once again something that will differ per person. Uh, but it's definitely good to have at least thought about it at least once. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and it's it's something that comes through my mind, I think, just in times of, of stress, because my, my natural state is just like, okay, if, if I'm in a stressful situation, just to simplify, and if I'm surrounded by stuff, I find it very hard to just relax and, and you know, concentrate and, and that kind of thing. And, uh, I, I've I've been pretty good, you know, since since the big purge that I did in 2017. There was a few things that I sold that I was uh, later that I regretted, but most of the stuff I didn't. And I, I've I've definitely goldfished a bit since then, and my collection's gotten bigger again. But it's not as big as it used to be, and it is more models from the eras that I I really enjoy and value. But there's always that part of me that's just worried that I'm doing this mindless consumption to to fill some void right in in my in my soul that i should i should be maybe like doing something with with more meaning and then i'm just i'm just buying miniatures and that's getting way more existential than i mean this show to be so uh, we can we'll move on to the next thing but it's 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 an interesting question I, i'm curious if anyone else kind of tackles with that or you just like you just happily get your stuff and you don't think about it i i, I don't know because I don't yeah, think well, about it a lot until I do, and then it really eats at me. <laughs> um, when you mentioned uh, downsizing in the podcast, I don't know if that's, that's the same thing, but uh, I have heard rumors about this uh, Japanese woman called Marie Kondo, who is very big on uh, throwing stuff out. And I think if I ever should have a nemesis, it would be her, because I'm the exact opposite uh, I, I'm a hoarder, I'm a collector, I, I well, collect at the moment mostly uh, Warhammer Fantasy, but I also have a lot of Lord of the Rings miniatures, I have lots of books, uh, both fiction and non-fiction, I, I have uh, several fossils lying about, uh, just all these odds and ends, and maybe at one day I can start a, a museum or a, a cabinet of curiosities, because that's probably what my house is or at least my my workspace um but why do i mention her because uh, one of the things that i know about mary kondo's method is that she says um you have to ask yourself about your stuff does this bring me happiness does this make me happy and i can get immensely happy from just scoring those miniatures but also uh, sitting down and playing with them sitting down and painting them um i think we all know that experience when you're just in that zone painting miniatures and for me that's just a a way to wind down and to um yeah just just 
usually I try to get in uh, maybe an hour or so at least of painting before I go to bed. I, I can't even, I, I don't manage to do that every night. And sometimes I have to force myself to get up from the sofa and sit down to paint. But once I get painting and once I put on uh, maybe a podcast or a, or a YouTube video or something like that in the background, then uh, I can easily lose myself and have a very happy evening just uh, painting miniatures. So yeah, to me, that would definitely be something that it brings me joy to do Warhammer related stuff. And you can say, yeah, it's just mindless consumerism, just, just getting these things. But I think to a lot of people, it's more than just that. It's, uh, there's a real sort of, well, yeah, I don't want to get too mushy here, but uh, a love for the game, for the setting, for the miniatures, for the hobby. And I do think it is very important for, for everybody to have hobbies to be able to do, to uh, get your mind off of things and to, to wind down, to uh, recharge your, your battery, if uh, that's the way for you to recharge your battery. And um, yeah, just to... Uh, to, to have something that will help you do that. And it can be Warhammer, but it can be anything. It can be computer games or reading books or watching TV or, yeah, all kinds of stuff. And uh, for me, it's most definitely uh, playing with my toy soldiers. Awesome. I really like that you mentioned both Warhammer, the, the hobby, and reading books because they they both are kind of a a transportative method of of getting out of the world and and getting into a different one because i i don't know if everyone does this but i will often when i'm painting think about the 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 character that i'm painting or the uh you know whatever it is if it's just a regular soldier or if it's a character or whatever and just think about with the look of the miniature what what they might be up to or, or, you know, what kind of personality do they have based on their face or that kind of thing. And it, it does just kind of get you far enough from the real world and, and your, your worries and your, your cares to be really valuable in that way. So, yeah, it's, it's interesting. I, I do think, I, I think you've convinced me that, that there is more value to what we do as, as hobbyists than say if i was uh you know a sneakerhead who who collected shoes right and and kept them in their boxes or uh uh god forbid something really dumb like nfts or or those kind of things although i suppose that's just a speculative investment market it's not really people don't buy those for the art but um uh, help it you out what's what are nfts Oh God, it's it's a whole rabbit hole. They're non-fungible tokens, and they're they're all it's all blockchain stuff. Basically, they're really weird little receipts of purchase for ugly pictures, usually online, and and people use them, uh, I guess, uh, in a lot of ways to to launder money and do all sorts of sketchy things. But people also invest in them because there's a a huge speculative market going on, like. Beanie Babies back in the '90s, or or Tulip Mania, and uh, yeah, oh, it's, I they're, didn't they're, know that. Yeah, they're, I, I thought it was weird. maybe some something uh, Canadian that I didn't know about, but 
This is just me being a, a technical illiterate. <laughs> no, no, I find it really interesting. So I watch a lot of videos on on crypto and crypto scams and things. And uh, it's it's a wild, it's a whole wild west market right now, the the whole crypto industry. But I, I do find it really interesting, which is the only reason I know about any of this stuff at all. But yeah, yeah anyway. And, 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 and there's no reason whatsoever that most of those videos you watch start with the words how to. <laughs> about crypto scams and oh everything, my God. right? Man, if I if I had that kind of technical <laughs> knowledge, oh boy, yeah, I it would be it'd be a little tempting with the money that gets thrown around on these things. But, uh luckily, I am I am not smart enough to scam anyone. <laughs> I, I had hoped you'd, that you were going to say something like, uh, "No, no, no, uh, I, I'm too honorable for that." But no, I'm just yeah. a dummy. <laughs> just a dummy <laughs> you know what here's how you'll tell that if i ever get into a, a some kind of like running some kind of crypto scam is that the production values of this show will skyrocket and i'll have quit uh going to school and not having a job and and continue not having a job and <laughs> i will just be doing uh silly warhammer videos and podcasts for the rest of my life that's <laughs> that's how you will know that i have struck it big um let's, let's let's hope you do but let's hope you don't yeah yeah uh, you know <laughs> over other people's backs that's it that's it yeah we are gonna move on here to our second topic for today and this is going to be a, a big change of scenery from our, our last one a little bit less serious that is something that i've been thinking about for a while now because my my favorite books to go through generally are the chaos books because they're they're so much fun and they're so weird and wonderful and each era of chaos is very different in the way that you make your army and you put them on the tabletop and the fluff changes a little bit. It gets a little bit more streamlined, a little bit less weird from Old Hammer going into Hero Hammer going into the later era. But more specifically, what I want to talk about today is how do you best represent the weirdness of chaos on the tabletop? Whose book did a better job, I guess, is is what I'm saying is the Old Hammer era where everything is randomly generated. You have all sorts of weirdness and it's all in one army. You've got your beastmen, your mortals, and your demons, and they're all just all over the place. Or does it get a little bit better when it gets into the more streamlined era? So at 5th edition, we got this whole warband system where you could still mix and match, but you had to take a leader, basically, for any uh, beastmen that you were taking in a chaos warrior army or chaos warriors in a demon army, that kind of thing. And then once you got into... The later era, 6th to 8th, they started really separating them and separating them into different books, and they didn't always play together. I think 7th edition, you might have been locked out of the others completely. I, I don't fully remember that, but it did get harder to mix and match, and then by 8th edition, you just used the ally rules to ally them in, so it wasn't even as if they were really part of the same force. So I think for my money... I really prefer the Motley Horde for Chaos. I, I think that is the most pure form of Chaos. What kind of aesthetic do you like to see when you're, when you're lined up across from a Chaos army? What I love to see most is uh, Monogod. Really? So, okay. Uh, yeah, and um, the reason for that is mostly uh, fluff-like. 
because um, each chaos ruinous power is a force unto himself and they don't really trust the other ones they don't really work well together uh, each has their own means and ideas and devices and uh, uh, in the end it's just uh, change manipulating everything uh, I believe but yeah you, you get uh, what I would like to see most is that you have the option to put um, mixed forces in the sense of demons and mortals and beastmen but that you would have a mostly or almost exclusively mono god army and i see a lot of people use those and they they work quite well um there's something to say for having like a demon army with those uh pink horrors and then the the green fox bearers uh, next to the bl red uh, blood letters um but to me just fluff wise it doesn't make too much sense to have just these demons running around as a force and then mortals as another force beastmen as a force i can get behind because they live in different places they live in the forest but yeah mortals and, and and demons they generally come from the chaos wastes and there is some overlap you can put a demon prince in a mortal army in the later editions and you've got chaos spawns that can be in every army but yeah, mostly I'd like to see those um, not separated by by race, but more by uh, religion, to uh, put it in the in that way. I and then you. of course also have the option to to go undivided and uh, in an undivided army that you could have this mix of different gods, but you would probably have to have like an undivided general or something to keep them all together to to get them to work together for a common cause and put their petty squabbles uh, aside for a little bit to to fight for the greater evil all about that greater uh, evil <laughs> yeah i can't say greater good that's true no one chaos is concerned I, I that's interesting that's interesting so you you've got kind of a uh almost a, a sixth ed philosophy when it comes down to yeah. it, right? You got like get your hordes of chaos, which are your, your demons, your mortals, you got your beastmen that are uh you, you can take them, but they're they're a little bit of a separate entity. I don't know how much I agree with with the monogod thing. I, I do like monogod. I like everything when it comes to chaos, so this is my issue. Uh, there is something fun, kind of the the colorful carnival of chaos esque look about having you know your pink and blue horrors your 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 green plague bears your red blood letters and just having this weird bizarre army of of uh demons manifest at the same time i do think just from a purely aesthetic thing on, on the tabletop i think i could get behind the the mono god like motley horde of of all things as you know and and having that binding theme of of religion where you know you've got your uh your corn gores your uh, uh champions of of chaos with the mark of corn and then your blood letters and your flesh hounds and it, maybe it's all led by a a lord of corn or a, a bloodthirster yeah, or, or something like friends, that so, yeah, yeah yeah exactly so i i do see that from i i, I get your perspective on that one i i like that from an army building standpoint would you rather have 
a single big list that is so i know you prefer uh keeping beastmen separate so in this case we'll say like like a hordes of chaos list where it is dependent on your general or would you like something more like say the the fourth ed way to build a a, a chaos army which was you're you you have to have this particular general or or a particular type of general but then you don't have to worry about specific uh, special choices and, and core choices they're all just kind of mixed together yeah i think i prefer that latter one just all, all mixed together and then not so much separated and well beastmen can be separated but they don't really have to be in my opinion mm. yeah. um I, I... it makes sense to separate them out just by demographics uh, because you find beastmen in uh, in the forest in the empire and in the forest of Bretonia and they are sort of like a um, a bit like the high elves and the wood elves they they live in different places yeah know if that's the correct comparison here but yeah um, and and demons and mortals are much more closely together so it would make more sense to me to have those in the same army mm-hmm. and then maybe uh, have some room or allotment or, or certain percentage that you can spend on beastmen allies or maybe not call them allies but yeah you can also find room for other allies in there like uh, maybe some uh, chaos dwarves or uh, something like uh, dark elves uh, allied in uh, through the cult of Sanesh maybe or orcs and goblins that have been enslaved or to send out in front of the horde or skaven or something like that uh, you can think of all kinds of things and reasons uh, fluff reasons to to do something like that you know um, you, you've hit on something kind of awesome uh that that it also kind of bugs me that i that i, I want to talk about which is these very underrated non-chaos allies for chaos look so good together on the battlefield like dark elves and chaos together look incredible chaos dwarves and chaos skaven and chaos i really like yeah. as well uh, one of the things that kind of bothers me is, as you get into the later editions, you move further and further away from those kind of non-traditional kind of chaos allies. So in, in third edition, you know, you could have, it wasn't uncommon to have a chaos dwarf or a dark elf leading a chaos warband, right? They, they would fall to chaos. I mean, the chaos dwarf, is it's right in the name. They're already there. Uh, but but the dark elves, of course, you know they they started out as as a cabal of of chaos worshipping sorcerers in the original fluff before the whole thing with the witch king and everything. And I, I'm kind of sad that chaos became such a like a human only club. It kind of bothers yeah. me a little bit, and it's it's the same issue that I have a little bit with the undead. And I understand yeah. like sculpting limitations and whatever, and, and you know you you don't want to make too many of like the same. Or too many different sculpts for like zombies and skeletons and stuff, but it, I wish there was more options. And it's really easy to say, oh, you know, this chaos lord, he is a dark elf, and you know, he he wandered into the chaos waste to to seek his fame and fortune. But I just kind of miss that that inclusivity, I guess, of chaos uh, in the earlier editions. And then when you get to the later editions, it's all about the, the you know, the Northmen, right? Like the, the various tribes of, of humans that live up there. And uh, yeah, I just, I think the more, the more weird and diverse and, and, and strange you make chaos, the better it is from an aesthetic 
point for me and and the more interesting it is like chaos should be the ultimate uh equalizer between the the species of the the mortal world heck you can get a chaos goblin i've rolled up random chaos goblins before (laughs) in in the followers chart in in third ed i would love to see uh, a regiment of chaos goblins that sounds awesome right like they would be probably just as effective as regular goblins which is to say not very but you know you throw a few tentacles in there maybe one of them has the head of a wolf or something i don't know i just really i i think we need to get i think we need to make chaos weird again i think chaos <laughs> has gotten way too streamlined i think and and I'll a little enough cap. Yeah, yeah, I, I right. I want to get those made up now. <laughs> uh, yeah, it's. I think that really bothers me, and I don't think I had ever thought about it to this degree before you said that. But yeah, yeah. What are what are your feelings on on just having those oddities in in chaos? Yeah, I completely agree, mate. I, I I'm bothered by the same thing. Um, one of the undead regiments that are closest to my heart model wise is the uh, cursed company because you get undead orcs and undead skaven and undead sources and and undead high elf Uh, you get a mix in there and um, what I mentioned uh, I believe I mentioned it here somewhere sometime I don't remember the exact context was uh, maybe uh, skaven slaves have them uh, not just be skaven but also throw some humans or some some goblins or something in there um and beastmen why are all beastmen only goat-headed uh, i mean you rolled up something with a fire-breathing tiger head or something i believe uh, that sounds right yeah <laughs> yeah so um i i would love to see gw uh, especially for the chaos factions um, go back to those Realm of Chaos books, take that D1000 table and uh, just look at all the options there and and maybe split the table into uh, 10 equal parts and get 10 modelers here and say, well, you're going to make uh, these options, you're going to make these options, you're going to make the extra knees that Nathan rolls up all the time, you're going to make the fire-breathing tiger head and... Uh, just get those things in there on the sprue and there have been a few nods into certain directions i believe these sixth edition uh, skeletons they had mostly human heads but there was one uh, animal head like, like maybe a goat's head with the uh, curly horns that you could put on uh, but it's still a mostly human body uh, you had the chaos giant that you could build from the um, from the giant set with uh, with the hooves. Uh, there are some options for mixing mixing and matching, but sadly uh, too few. And the only way to do it right now is to just get two different regiments and clash them together, like what they did with the zombie pirates. Just mm-hmm. grab the empire militia mm-hmm. sprue and the uh, zombie sprue and put those bits together in a way that uh, makes them look piratey. Yeah, absolutely. It's, I, I do wish they still did those things that they, they would do on occasion where they would bundle a bunch of sprues together so you could make something really weird. Uh, they, they did it especially for third edition 40K, the uh, uh, Eye of Terror campaign. They they gave you an orc sprue, an undead zombie sprue, 
and uh, an Imperial Guardsman sprue. And you could just make these weird mutant things. And uh, it's, uh, yeah, it's, it's this, I think my issue is that there's so much that seems to have been left behind, I think, with yeah, the modern. Yeah, potential. Yeah, yeah, exactly. One of the things that it just kind of dawned on me was the Chaos Spawn. So da- Chaos Spawn have a very kind of uh, the thing David Cronenberg-esque kind of body horror look to them. Uh, and that really came from like that sixth ed era, right? And, and you saw that in yeah. a lot of the artwork, right? They're just these horrifying flesh monsters. And that's a cool look. I love that look. But Chaos Spawn can also be just like a bizarre mix of animal parts. And I, I'd love to see stuff like that again. Just being able to stick, yeah, stick a bird head on something. Stick a, you know, an eagle's talon or a lion's paw or a scorpion tail, right? I, I just, I wish they would lean a little bit out of the, the, the kind of contemporary styles and kind of look at those those original inspiration because again just make chaos weird again it's just it's not weird enough when all of your spawn look the same because yeah. they no two spawns should look anything like each other and i know the spawn kit is actually really good it comes with a ton of bits uh it's very customizable but it's the the issue is in the body itself because you only ever have one spawn body and you just stick things onto that spawn body. And I, I realize it was the same back in 4th edition. You, you just had the one body and you stuck the, the various heads and things in certain places. But those heads uh, from, from that old metal spawn, it had a bunch of like animal-esque heads and, uh, and tails and things. And I think there's a place for that kind of look to come back again. That, that kind of classic chaos weirdness, right? They, where Chaos Spawn are kind of weird chimera-esque creatures. So you might get the head of a goat or the, the head of a rattlesnake or uh, the, the body of a lion or, or something like that. I, 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 and I, I understand, like, you, you have a limited... You can't have, like, 12 different types of Chaos Spawn all be plastic kits just to appease Nathan. I mean, you could do that, and please do that, but I, I understand that it probably won't happen for me. But at the same time, I just... I want... I want more from chaos, from modern chaos. I think it's become way too streamlined. And I'm just worried that we we get to the point where, you know, the chaos just becomes these very separated bits that, that really don't have any kind of interlapping or they they become these this these separate armies that just don't play together. Uh and and I don't know. It's just I see going back when I read these books, how much just wild potential there was there. And it seems like most of it got sacrificed at the altar of what miniatures can we put out? What bits do we make? And that just makes me sad. Yeah, well, there are way too many options for a um, for modeling in those third edition books. Uh, so I do get that, but... <laughs> I, I do agree. You with don't you want to model they... up a uh, crown of tongues for your uh, <laughs> your chaos champion because you rolled it on the book. <laughs> uh, well, I would love to do something like that if I ever did a a warband and rolled it up and uh, was actually going to make it. But 
that's so specific that um, of the maybe 1,000, uh, what was it called? Crown of Tongues things? Yeah, it's actually that's actually it's, just a uh, sub option of the crown of flesh. So you can you can right. get uh, you can get tongues, you can get toes, fingers, uh, all sorts of stuff. Eyes, eye stalks. That'd be a good one. Yeah. Well, so if you put all those bits on a single sprue or in a single box, then uh, way too many of those will go unused uh, for way too many people. So, yeah, I, I get that that is too specific. And, um, I, I mean, I would love to have those bits available or maybe just be able to customize them on the website and just order those bits and, and build something like that for yourself. Just say uh, the same way that you put now uh, the boxes and blisters in your shopping cart, just put in uh, the bits to build your own uh, chaos spawn or something. Oh, I like um, that. I would spend way too much time on that part of the website, just like <laughs> <laughs> window shopping for like stupid bits. Yeah, yeah that would be fun. Probably, uh, no, but, but yeah, just uh, just the uh, what they had back, I believe, up until like seventh edition or something that you could order individual bits. Uh, I would love it if they brought that back, and uh, even if it is something like. Uh, a print on demand or uh, what they have those those uh, boxes that are you you just pre-order them and then you have to wait like maybe a month or two until they until you get it because it's they just inventorize how many people want it and then they start uh, casting miniatures uh, made to order that's what it's called yeah um, yeah sorry couldn't uh, find the correct words um yeah something like made to order but then for for bits um and i i don't know how often people used that option i know that i have uh, a couple of times and then got some stuff at uh, at games days where you could buy different bits uh, that i thought well this might be useful at some point um yeah, that that would be nice. And then another way to do that, by the way, those different um, chaos spawns or different options is to have uh, different boxes of chaos spawns and uh, have them dedicated to the different factions or the uh, different gods, I mean. So uh, get a box where you can build a spawn of Nurgle and get a box where you can build a, so a spawn of Siege. A, a bit like what they sort of suggested back in the was it the sixth edition Hearts of Chaos book where you could give your chaos spawn a uh, a mark and then it would become uh, like a beast of Nurgle or a uh, so, some of those terms from the older books that later got their own miniatures back again uh, Fiend of Slanesh uh, uh, I believe Flamer of Siege that, that didn't have miniatures back in 6th edition but you could throw all those miniatures into your spawn options yeah that's yeah. exactly what it was and that was that was a neat a neat idea I, th I think it didn't sit well with me because I didn't like the fact that you had to kind of make those models instead of them having you know they all had the same basis instead of having alternate entries but yeah. I really do like the idea of, yeah, marked chaos spawn that have maybe different, a different look about them. So something avian, 
about the the Zinchian ones and I mean keep the the angry flesh sacks for Nurgle that works just fine but maybe something with a lot of like different heads with teeth or something like very dog-like for corn I, I could really get into that I think that'd be really fun great option the other thing that I was thinking that they could do if you wanted to to have like a build a third ed chaos champion function on your website and you wanted to have all these ridiculous bits is offer a 3D printing service for the miniature. Something like I think Hero Forge does, where you design the miniature online. They print oh, it for you and yeah. uh, send it out. I mean, they, they're going to have to get into this stuff eventually, right? Like that's... <laughs> 3D printing is going to start, if it hasn't already, really eating Games Workshop's lunch. So I, yes. I think they're going to have to adapt at some point. And maybe we get something like that. And you know what? I, I try not to buy from Games Workshop, but that is a, if they came up with a print a chaos champion service, oh, <laughs> I, I might make an exception. I might make an exception again. Well, you, you can also set yourself a challenge and see uh, what you roll up next time and see how far you can get on uh, Hero Forge. That's true. That's true. I haven't explored that site as much as I should have. And maybe I can make something like that already. Hmm. Next time I do a, a create a champion, I think I'll do that and see see if nice. I can make something yeah. approximate to it. The the only time I used Hero Force was uh, was because I wanted a model for Luther Harkon, the uh, vampire pirate, and I did not find any suitable models, so I I built one. Um, but I I only explored that particular option. I didn't really play around with what is there, so I don't really know how far into the uh, rabbit hole of chaos you can go on that site. Yeah, it's worth checking out for sure. I have no answer for that either, since I think I've spent even less time there. But it yeah. So so if the next War Games Orchard podcast doesn't show for at least a month, we know that. Nathan has found out a way to make chaos champions in uh, Hero Forge. Yeah, I'm sorry, guys. That's my life now, if that's the case. <laughs> um, all right. Well, we've been going for a little while here. I think we've had a, had a good discussion on this stuff. I, I think to, to put a bow on the, the chaos stuff, if, if I had to choose kind of an era of chaos to live in and how to make my armies, I think it would be the fourth edition one. I think I'm good with... The the only real downside for the 4th edition book was you had to have a Chaos Lord beer general, which wasn't unusual for the 4th ed books. A lot of them did that. The Dark Elf, any of the Elven yeah. books, you had to have an Elven general. The Chaos one is a little bit, it hurts a little bit because you have these other cool options like the, the Beastman Lords and the Demon Lords and stuff. But I can always live with a Chaos Lord. I like Chaos Lords a lot. But what it allowed you to do was just pick and choose from regiments after that. So you could have all sorts of, of crazy weirdness. Uh, you still had Chaos Centaurs. They hadn't disappeared yet. So I think that would be my era. And I think, GJ, you were saying that the, the sixth ed one is kind of your, your sweet spot for Yeah, for Chaos I, I think well. I'll go for that. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, I think we got a good ones there. I need to play with that fourth ed Chaos book at some point. Because I've never done that. I, I started the game uh, in fifth edition and uh, it was very soon after that I really got into Chaos that the uh, the Realm of Chaos 5th edition came out. And so that was my my intro to the the Dark Gods and, and Eternal Damnation. But I, I would love to explore the options in that 4th ed book because I have so many models to do a real weird horde of Chaos. And uh, 
I think short of trying to sucker someone into playing third ed uh, path to glory with me, <laughs> I think that's probably the closest I'm going to get to that golden era chaos stuff. Well, if we can do Path of Glory remotely, I'm uh, definitely game. Mm. You know what? That would probably work well remotely because it is just warbands, right? It's just weird and wacky yeah. warbands. Uh, the only issue with that, GJ, is that you're going to... Y- y- it would fall to you to to build my Chaos Champion. And you know, you've seen how things turn out for those. So <laughs> might well, be might be a struggle. Uh, why would it fall to me? Why can't you build mine? Oh, oh, I mean, well, gets, uh, re- reasons, reasons and, and reasons, stuff. And, yeah. Uh, yeah. <laughs> well, I will definitely think about it. I, I, oh. I am usually very bad at making uh, decisions and choices, things like what to paint next or something, uh, how to, which options to use. So if all the options are determined for me by using random tables, then at least I know what to do. It, there is uh, a there is a beauty be to that, to right? It. Like yeah. of, of just like letting the dice decide, and you're just like, okay, simplicity. well, it's out of my hands yeah. now. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, exactly. That yeah. nice simplicity to it. All right, well, GJ, before we wrap things up here today, we're gonna do something we haven't done in a little while, and uh, I've got a little game for you today. And All right, I, I say game, it's 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 just trivia, but trivia is fun. Uh, so I've, I've got some uh, some chaos trivia to go with our our chaos discussion, and we're gonna talk about some godly trivia some dark godly trivia and we're specifically talking about greater demons so we're gonna we're gonna test what you remember about greater demons through the ages all right so before we start can i please remind you that i have only limited experience playing against demons and that is mostly in eighth edition and no experience at all playing with demons. So uh, I, I don't expect to score too well. But, uh, <laughs> don't worry. But we'll see how it goes. It's, it's, it's pretty surface level. There, there's nothing that's, that's ultra in-depth here. Uh, so this is, this is more of uh, which demons do you know and recognize kind of thing. All right. All right. All right. So we have... Might be... Uh, uh, yeah, I, I, yeah, I, I have just, faith. Just, I think uh, you'll do well. I think you'll do well on this one. Uh, so we've got five questions and a bonus for this. So for the first one, and I think this one is one that you can... I've, I've got confidence that you can get this one. Uh, name the three special character greater demons that appear in 8th edition. All right. I know there is uh, Scarbrand, the uh, Bloodthirster. Yes. There is Skyros Fateweaver, um, the... Uh... Uh, let's see, the, the Lord of Change. Yep. Yeah, so you're two, um, two three. The last the one, one never last got one. a model. Oh, really? Yeah. Uh, well, I know that this Bloodthirster kit that they released later on had some other stuff that was in Storm of Chaos. Yeah. Ooh, uh, let me think. No, I don't sure. really know. Okay. Uh, to give you a hint, it was a Great Unclean one. It's a named Great Unclean one. No, sorry. I... I I know the the Nurgle things with models because I I got them on my either my I have them list or my wish list but <laughs> well, I, sh- I should have this one then also on my list I know it's not Epidemius which is the he is the herald so yeah yeah yeah, yeah. and there's also Festus the Leech Lord but that is a later model I believe yeah he is he's in 
Warriors of Chaos. Oh. I think he came in on in seventh edition, and then he he stuck around, and he actually had a bit of a part in the old or in the end times, if I remember correctly. Yeah, he's, he, I, I know he's still for sale, but yeah. But I, I think those are the uh, Nurgle special characters that I know of. Okay. Uh, so I, without I, checking my. <laughs> uh, my list uh, and and cheating on you, I uh, can't really say. All right, all right. So the the last one we were looking for was uh, Kugoth Plague Father. He is uh, the great unclean one that re- uh, rode around on a bed of nurglings, and uh, he could hurl nurglings at the enemy. And uh, nice. I'm so devastated that he never got a model because of that. Yeah. <laughs> all right. So uh, for... the the name does ring a bell, but yeah, like I said, I. Uh didn't have it in my working knowledge yeah yeah all right so next up there was only one special character greater demon in fifth edition who was that and he was in the champions of chaos supplement yeah if read through um, that. i know that one and i actually have that model and i know that you and scott also have that same model uh but i can't remember the name now that's that's uh azazel right so Azazel, yes, Lanesh, uh... he's actually a demon prince. Oh, yeah, he? yeah, he is. So he is. A, I, I, I was gonna say that's a that's a bit of a tricky one. So this is one that you could sort of build from the. I'll, I'll give you a hint that it's it's a Lord of Change, uh, and you could kind of build him from that kit, but he never had like an official model that said this is this guy. Right. No, this is too far removed from. From yeah, no, that's from, right. From and he my, uh, he only appears knowledge. he only appears in Champions of Chaos, and he appears in the fifth edition Realm of Chaos book in like a little story vignette. But that, those are the only two places that he is mentioned, yeah. and then he did not get brought forward to uh, to sixth in the later edi- editions. That was Amon Chakai, and he is a... Oh, of uh, course, yeah. Yeah, yeah, he's the... Yeah, the, the, name, the name rings a bell, uh, definitely, but I, I did not make that link that he was that particular Lord of Change special character. All right, so question number three. In the Hero Hammer era, three of the four greater demons would set you back 525 points base cost. One of them cost 750 points base. Who was the most expensive greater demon? That 750 point guy. I think I will probably have to go with the Lord of Change because of the wizard levels. Oh. And it is incorrect. It is incorrect. <laughs> but you're, you're so... I, I, you almost answered a, another question with this question. Uh, that's, that's pretty incredible. So your 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 precognition kicked in. It just kicked in at the wrong time. <laughs> so <laughs> it is uh, the bloodthirster at seven hundred and fifty points. Really, the, because he's just so, so, such a uh, because of his stats or what? It, it's it's mostly because of his stats <clears throat> and the fact that the fact that he has wings and those stats. I think is the big thing. Uh, right. Because yeah. the he's actually pretty close to I believe the keeper of secrets stat line wise as far as just pure killing power goes but of course the keeper of secrets has to hoof it around where the bloodthirster flies around uh also i think he's built in with like the axe of corn or something and then maybe something like that but yeah he is he is the full 225 points more than the other 
All right. That would have been my second guess, but it's yeah. not going to count, right? So <laughs> so I, I'm i 0 for what now? Uh, 0 for 3. <laughs> but you know what? I'd give you at least like three qu- or two-thirds points for the first one. So, Woo-hoo. yeah. Yeah, and, and the answers to all the next questions are going to be a lot of change, because then I know I will have at least one of them. <laughs> All right. No, uh, which, fire away, wait. Which greater demon appears as a special character in the Hordes of Chaos 6th edition book? And I do have a hint for this one, because it's a little tricky. It's a little tricky of a question. Yeah, because as far as I know, there are only two special characters in the Hordes of Chaos book, which mm-hmm. are Archeon and uh, Galrock. And Galrog is a dragon, and Archeon is uh, yeah, immortal. <laughs> but Archeon does have this uh, swordy, the Slayer of Kings, which I believe contains like the soul or something of a great demon. Oh, but oh my I god, you I, just... I, I don't know what the name of that demon is. Uh, I believe it's Utzel. Actually, you just galaxy-brained this, GJ, because... You're you're right. I have to give you the points for it because Ooh. I didn't think of Utsul when I was doing this, but it's 100% I, correct. Uh I was thinking of of Galrog because uh he was a dragon that ate a lord of change and oh, uh, right. the lord of change has been possessing him ever since, which is why he has the two heads and he occasionally bites himself. But you have somehow answered correctly <laughs> despite not choosing the one that I had chosen. So I'm, I'm giving you the points for that. That was really good. Yes. I completely forgot about uh, Archeon's sword, which is a I greater demon. Game. All right. So now let's, let's pop back to eighth edition here for question number five. As of eighth edition, what wizard level do Lords of Change start as? It's either three or four because they are, a lore choice. I think a lot of change is automatically level four because I don't believe that the um, mark of change costs you extra points. Um, the only points that a mark of change will give you is for extra wizard levels, and I believe that the no, of course you don't give a, a great demon a mark of change because he's already got the mark built in. I'm gonna say level four. Level two. Two? Level two. He has to buy his way to three and four. And it's, it's Why did you let me to... suffer so long? Because the only <laughs> options I gave were three or four. I know. <laughs> but you were, you were on a real, like, you were in a real rabbit hole dive there. And I just wanted to see where you were going. <laughs> All right. Oh, man. Okay. Well, Here's the bonus. Here's the bonus. I at least learned a lot of things. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Quiz, and so, look, yeah. I you taught me something as the quiz master, <laughs> too. So, you know, it worked. It worked out. I'm going to give you the bonus one here. Uh, so the bonus is uh, the same question, but in fifth edition, what wizard level do Lords of Change start as? I'm going to say level four again because Hero Hammer. Okay. And uh, that one was actually a trick question. They don't start as wizards. You have to give them the demonic rewards uh, for a for a wizard. Really? Yeah, yeah. And that's how you add those 200 points that you mentioned earlier to the right. uh, Lord of Change. Yeah, yeah. So they start off at 525. But as uh, if you get them to max level, it's 200 points. So they come in at 25 points under the Bloodthirster. Yeah, so just kind awesome. of a, a yeah. neat little thing. But uh, 
Yeah, yeah. Well, thank you, DJ. You were a very good sport about that one. I know that one was, it's not your wheelhouse, but uh, no, you still managed to do not, fairly but, uh, well, yeah, I think. And, and yeah. note to self, uh, read more chaos. Yeah, that's it. That's, I mean, that's the real moral of this podcast, <laughs> just in general. If you haven't figured embrace it out yet, the chaos. embrace the chaos, love, chaos is love, chaos is life, uh, worship the dark gods. Uh, I, I don't care which one, just any of them or all of them. Go chaos undivided. Be the the vanilla choice if you want to do it that way. That is that is it. Well, uh, I I think that's as good a place as to end it as any with just worship the chaos gods. So thank you all so much for listening to this episode. This was a lot of fun, a little something different than we usually do, but a, a fun discussion nonetheless. And until next time, have a great week. Thanks for listening to the War Games Orchard. If you enjoy the show. Why not join us on Patreon? There you'll gain access to all of our bonus content for any level of donation. It's a great way to help us keep going and enjoy extra Orchard content. If Patreon's not your thing, please consider giving us a five-star review on your podcast platform of choice and sharing this show with friends. If you'd like to get in touch, you can find us on Facebook at The Warhammer Orchard and The War Games Orchard or by email at wargamesorchard at gmail.com. <laughs>